0: Thank you, Jason. Isn't this a cool um, stand? Pulpit. That's a very, yeah, stand. Let's go with that. Um, Hi, everybody. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Sharon, and I'm a chaplain. First time here today. We're just so um, grateful to have you here. If you haven't been for a while, it's so good to see you again. And um, if you are a student... Um, I'm super excited that you're here. Um, wherever you go to school, it's fantastic to have you here today. Um, I thought today that we might start with something that um, is a little bit chapel-like, so you can get a little taste of some things we might do in chapel. Um, but I have this box up here. I'll turn it around. It looks better this way. We, we're There are chocolates in here, and you two could have one. So... Um, First of all, as has already been alluded, right now, um, our year 12s are wrapping up and week. So they are, I'm sure, really looking forward to next Sabbath. But I just wanted to honor our year 12s, and I, I wonder if you know who they are. So we have Bryce, who is actually here today, and we have Talia, who's also here today, and we have Kobe, who's over here today. Give us a wave, Kobe. Um, And we have others that come to refresh from time to time, Chloe. We have Ben, he's on my list, he's here today, he's over there staying up the front, doing year 12. Cameron, Daniel, Tay, Jess, Byron, who are also, I don't, is Byron's not here, is he, Hannah, hiding? No. Um, so to all of you, I just want to honour you and say congratulations. Um, we are indeed praying for you as you finish off year 12 and with you we look forward to celebrating with you next week. Um, so in that theme of year 12s you know when it comes to senior school when you when you come into that space of finishing year 10 and moving into year 11 suddenly you are bombarded with a whole heap of acronyms. So I'm going to do a little bit of prize giving. And see how well you know the acronyms of senior school. So students, some of these will be really easy for you, but I wonder if even some of them, you don't know what they are. And parents, this is a test for you teachers. Well, you know, you should know this. And anybody else just might have a random guess. So if you I'm going to put them all up here on the screen so you can see what they look like. Let's see if they'll come. All right. Clicker, clicker. There we go. So, anybody think they know what ATAR stands for? If you think you know, give us, you, you too can get a chocolate. Finley, what does it stand for? No, they, they're not sure together. Australian is correct. I better double check it on Leadership. Tertiary? Close. Admissions. Rank. Just give him a round of applause. Woo! I need one helper. Let me pick on someone who's Mr. Thompson, our principal I don't know if you, can... you're on the end of the row. Like... Would you be able to be my just take it around and smile like you always do so well? All right, this is an easy one. Come on, students. What's FA? I hope there's no teachers in the room here. They're going to feel really like, oh, my. Any parents know? Anybody know what FA stands for? Mr. Richardson? Formative assessment. All right, give give him a chocolate. Done in year 11. So all the year 11s in the room, you too could have had that one. What about IA? Anyone know? Any parents? Ben, internal assessment. Year 12s, they start their IAs. They have to do three of them. All right, EA. Who said that? Mel. Sorry, Jack. I heard Mel. Um, Over here, the lovely lady in the colourful shirt. All right, now getting a bit tricky, QCAA. Okay, Ethan. Ethan. Assessment what? What does your phone say? (laughs) (laughs) Check with Miss Richardson. Authority. 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 Queensland Curriculum and Assessment Authority. Um, It takes a student to obviously think of using their phone to get the answers. So without your phones, if it's possible. Oh, yes, Miss, yes, Richie? Ooh, last two words. Do you want to dial up Mr. Richardson, your friend? (laughs) (laughs) Queensland, Territory. All right. So let's go with the next one. Some of you might know this one. Vet. (laughs) Cooper. Uh, Vacation. I don't know about vacation, but anyway. (laughs) Yes. We'll go with vocational, but that's close because probably having a vacation, vocational education and training. Yes. All right. The last one. The last one. Who really wants a chocolate? Shout it out. What does QCE stand for? Yes. Who said that? Sophia. All right. Queensland Certificate of Education. Now, some of you would not have been brave enough to share, but you know, just give me a little twinkle if you got at least one of those oh there you go senior schools a long time ago for some of us and change a Mel would like one Turkish delight and uh, yes so uh, there could be some there or there might not be actually Sharon wanted that one yes you'll be lucky because I do like them myself you know, getting your QCE, which is what happens for our Year 12s now, the thing that they want to achieve um, generally is their school through education, and I've, I've, I've got my Year 12 certificate. For some of us, it was called Senior Certificate or many other different terms, but QCE is the thing that um, they want to tick that box, get out in the big wide world, and, and be able to show that they stuck at that and, and finished. And you might kind of think, well, why am I doing all of this? Well, today your take-home is an acronym, and it's not QCE, but it's QCO, and I hope it just sticks in your mind, QCO. And I guess you might be thinking, what is QCO? Let me tell you a little bit about a, a gentleman. Many of you will, will know this story as time goes on, but um, it was in May let me get the date right, 1928 in Holland, that Andrew was born. And um, his family went to church every Sunday. Um, but in his, in his kind of younger years, even before high school age, under 12, he would kind of, I must have been quite a, a, a big church at the time because he would sit in the back and when everything sort of got going, he would sneak out. And he would go and see whatever adventure he could have for that 30, 40 minutes of the message, and then he would come back in as if he was there the whole time. He didn't particularly like church. He didn't think much of it at all. Just before his 12th birthday, World War um, struck, and um, living in Holland at the time, got invaded by Germany, and um, he got invaded and taken over. And, um, so school stopped. So wouldn't that be amazing? No school. In fact, he didn't go to school for all those years and, uh, through that high school time. But what he did love to do during that time was to prank as many soldiers as he could possibly prank. He was definitely a person who loved adventure and his adventurous spirit came out from a young age. When he was 17 and old enough, he thought, I'm going to go to war. It sounded adventurous, sounded amazing. So that he did, and he, he went along before, in that, in that environment, he realised war was not what he thought it was. The horror, the, the, all about it, didn't sit right with him. And um, uh, for probably his own luck, at, some, at one stage, he gets shot in the ankle and he has to go into, uh, you know, the military hospital. When he first went off to, to war, his parents gave him a Bible. But as I said, in his bag, um, didn't really pay any attention to it. But when he was in hospital, you know, as you do as a young man, he noticed all the lovely nurses. Um, they looked pretty, and they were but what stood out to him was that they, they just had this presence about them. They seemed to be extra caring, kind, and there was something different about the nurses that were working in this hospital um, where he was being tended to. And one day, he got the courage up, and he asked one of the nurses. He actually said, you know, "You, you seem so kind. You seem so happy in the midst of all of this horrible place that we're in. Why is that? And the nurse was courageous enough to say, well, actually, I'm a Christian, and shared how that made a difference in her outlook and in her life. And it got Andrew thinking. He thought, well, you know what? That Bible, I'm going to kick off at the dust, and I'm going to have a read. And when the military had finished and he got sent home, by then he was passionate about God. And he lay in his bed at about the age of 22 one night, And he prayed this prayer, Lord, if you will show me the way, I will follow you. It was his heart that wherever he was now, he wanted to follow God. He had no education, um, looked around for a job. He got a job in a factory, um, Corrie, and they started talking together. And she happened to be a Christian too. And together they determined that they would do whatever they could in their work and in the factory to just be Jesus, share Jesus. But there was something still staring inside of him, something that, that just, you know, he, he felt like that he had said this, I'll oh, follow you, God, but there was all this like a little but afterwards, but. One but was the fact that after he'd injured his, his um, ankle, he, he didn't quite walk well, he was slightly lame. And he, you know, I'd follow you, God, but I'm a bit lame, you know, like, and there's always these excuses but this stirring, this moving inside of him led him to pray this prayer. What is it, Lord? What am I holding back? What am I using as an excuse for not serving you in whatever you want me to do? And he was wrestling with the but, the few buts that he always seemed to come back to. And then he just fully let go and surrender. He said, yes, I'll go, Lord whenever, wherever, however you want me, I'll go. I'll begin this very minute. Will you consider that this is a step toward complete obedience to you? I'll call it the step of yes. And as the story goes, after he prayed that prayer lying in his bed, he got up and he actually was not lame anymore. But Andrew's prayer was a catalyst for being and living a life, a QCO life for Christ. I wonder if you've got any ideas what that might mean. QCO. This is all you need to remember today. Don't worry about ATAR, QCE, IEA, etc. EA. <laughs> so... Quiet, courageous, obedient. Last year at the end of the year, our family went to Canada and um, we have family over there and we went to visit them and part of the experience I thought would be amazing would be to take the boys to snow. We have seen snow, they had seen snow here in Australia, a little bit of ice on the top of an area near Cradle Mountain, you know it was really icy and they were so excited but it was sort of the last remnants of the snow and really wasn't snow. So I decided that, you know, why don't we go to Whistler? Like, it's everybody's dream, we're right over there, let's just do it. So we booked to go to Whistler, but what the family probably do know but don't really know is that I don't particularly love skiing. Um, I mean, I do, but I'm not super courageous, I'm not super brave, and I haven't done it for mm, 20-something years. And I'm not as young as I used to be. But and and Whistler is not as small as Australian slopes either. But nonetheless, I wanted to, you know, have a good experience. And so we we book, we go, and and inside of me, the whole time that we're sort of there, I'm just like, oh, here we go, you know? So you go up on the baby slope, which is not really the baby slope, but it is a baby slope for over there. And you know, I just stand at the top and like my heart is pounding, and I'm just like I have to be brave, I have to be courageous, I don't want to show the boys, you know, that I'm, you know, just whooshing out here, you know, I've got to really put on my tough, and you know, your heart's thumping, and it's just like, in your head, it's going through, I didn't have lessons, but, you know, like, okay, you know, knees together, do this, do this, you'll be right, get to the bottom, self-talk, 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 all the way down, Um, and... There was a few times where, like, I'd be partway down this slope, and you just look down. And it just looks so steep, and my heart is just pounding. And then, of course, you just tense right up, right? So you're just completely tense, which is terrible. And then, you know, next minute, skis this way, skis that way, poles this way, face in the... And, you know, all these other people just um, go, and, and I just have to, like, okay, all right, I can get my ski. I can get my thing. I can get down this slope. Like... Um, get myself to the bottom, I'll be okay, it'll be all right, heart-pounding and whatever. I mean, it feels really good when you make it, right? But there were so many times where I just had to have courage, just tell myself, I'm going to be able to do this, I can do this, and not get hurt. And I didn't, almost, I did hurt my thumb, but I did come back walking, which was really great. Um, But, you know, when you think about courage... um, I don't know, would would that be a term that you would define yourself? Would you say that you were courageous? And I think for many of us, we might sort of balk at that and go, I don't know if that would be my thing. But I want to challenge each of us today that I really believe every single one of us is courageous. You are more courageous than you think you are. Um, Just have a think about maybe even just your last week um, of what that looked like. We need courage to walk into a room of strangers. We need courage sometimes to speak in front of our class. We need courage to try something new um, or do a sport in front of our friends. We need courage to apply for a job or to say or not to say something to someone. We actually use courage every single day. And I believe we all have courage, but we just don't necessarily see ourselves as courageous. So I want to challenge you. You are courageous. Yes, you are. And today God is, sorry, through the story that we're going to look at, get a little example, but God is calling us to use our courage, to use our courage for him, to be courageous in the little things, just humbly go about whatever, quietly keep doing what God's calling us to do in the little things and being obedient. Because the reality of courageous obedience, when we use that for Christ, we can have a greater impact than we can imagine. So I want to take you to the backstory story of our story today. Our backstory. Now, I haven't watched Game of Thrones. I'm not, I'm not actually into that kind of thing. But this story, in some of my readings, sort of compared it to Game of Thrones. So it's, it's, a, it's a bit rough. So be prepared. So go back 1020 AD or thereabouts, Israel, the first king of Israel. And following that, we have David who becomes king. Now he's not actually an heir, he actually is, is um, sort of Saul. Sorry, we're actually giving kingship to this guy. David. And that's a whole other story, amazing stories. If you want to find them in your Old Testament, you'll find them there. But we're going to skip along a little bit. In David had some sons and in their era, he had Solomon and then Solomon had, sorry, David had Solomon and then Solomon had some sons. And in their time, there was a bit of trouble that was going on. It all had to do with money. Fancy that, money and tax at that. Believe it. Doesn't it cause problems? Anyway, so what happens is there is um, some friction that's going on within Israel. And Israel is made up of 12 tribes. These tribes came from the, the sons of Jacob. And what happens is, in around about 975 BC, this kingdom of Israel, the blue, split. They split into two kingdoms, the green and the orange, the northern and the southern kingdom. Israel in the north has 10 tribes. Judah, in the south, the orange one, is two tribes. Judah is one tribe, and most of the tribe of Benjamin. So Judah and Benjamin are the names of two of the 12 um, children of Jacob, part of the northern kingdom. So sadly, Israel splits into these two. It was prophesied in the Bible that that would happen, that they would be divided, and Unfortunately, the northern kingdom is taken over by one of Solomon's sons called Rehoboam and the southern kingdom by Jeroboam, his other son. The northern kingdom, they, as soon as they split, they took their eyes off God and just started focusing on other gods, predominantly a god called Baal. And they were worshipping Baal and um, just distanced themselves from their heritage, from the God of Israel. Israel. The southern kingdom of Judah generally were more faithful to God. Right back in, the, in Genesis, at the beginning, when Jacob... Um, and it's such a, an amazing uh, sort of thought to do, if it's... Yeah, say the right words, I guess. But he prophesies over each of his sons. And in Genesis chapter 49, Jacob prophesies over Judah... And and the essence of the prophecy is this, that Judah, out of all of his 12 sons, will become the dominant tribe of Israel. Judah will be lion-like in courage and strength. The Messiah, the promised one, the one that um, the whole story of the Bible, Old Testament is, is leading towards, will come through this line of Judah, and that this Messiah's coming will bring peace and joy and prosperity. So as far as that whole family knew, Judah was the line, the messianic line, the line where um, this uh, Messiah would come through. And so being attached then to the southern kingdom. And David was also promised that through him, his kingdom would come through David. So we have a picture here of, sorry if it's a bit small, We have a picture here of um, the line. So over here, on this side, is Jeroboam. And over this side here is Rehoboam. Actually, I think I said before the wrong way around. My apologies. So Rehoboam here in Judah, Jeroboam here, Solomon's two sons. So here we have that northern kingdom, all of the kings. And some of you will be familiar with some of these people. Probably this guy here, Ahab. Um, as we said, these guys didn't follow God. They, they looked away to Baal. Ahab is a story in the Bible where, um, the Mount Carmel story, where the, the fire came down from heaven and consumed the whole altar. Um, but Ahab and Jezebel, they didn't follow God. They had these children, one of which is this person here, Athaliah, a, la- a daughter. Through here, we end up with um, this guy here, Jehoram, who marries Athaliah. It's a political move um, from this side here to cross over the two kingdoms, and together they have Azariah here, as Ahaziah. I should say. So the back story is this split and we end up in this period of time here. There's a lot of tension between the two, the northern and the southern kingdoms. And remembering that the northern kingdom, this kingdom here, had truly, um, they were Baal worshippers. And um, what it doesn't show Oh, yes, it does. It's hiding behind here. Is this guy here Jehu? He actually decided that, um, felt that God had led him to get rid of all of the sons of Ahab, all of Ahab's family, all of this guy's family completely, and all of the prophets of Baal. So there was a massive annihilation by Jehu. He took out. Seventy of their family of Ahab, and many of the prof- many prophets. But at the time, Athaliah was sort of living in this kingdom, so she escaped that because she was married um, to Jehoram. Jehoram died in that um, battle, and. Sorry, no, Jehoram died earlier. He was sick, but um, Jehu actually took out both kings at the time. So this guy died, and the guy under here, uh, after Jehu, uh, also he took him out, because Jehu wasn't the king. So it was a massive fight and battle, and we left with Ath- Athalia. And this is where the story that we... That's kind of the backstory. This is the story that I just want to have a look at today, um, which is a tiny little snippet in the Bible. I don't know if that made sense, but it's complicated. It's like the days of our lives. <laughs> I tell you. Um, nothing's new under the sun, is it? Athalia was... As Ayah's mother, she saw that her son was dead, so she began to destroy the whole house, royal house of Judah. Judas, she had this. This insight that she thought, if I can get rid of, then the Jude, that line will be completely gone. And in some ways, that, that southern kingdom will be destroyed and the northern kingdom can take back over. And not only that, I will get rid of all the line of David, which meant all that whole line that was through Judah. That she obviously was not a nice person. And she was, I guess, a lot like her father and her grandfather and so on and so on. So Athalia goes to do this. Now, she wasn't um, very accountable in what she did because one is left. And, and that's kind of where the hero of our story comes in. And that's a lady by the name of Jehoshiba. So has anyone just in your head think, oh, without that context, if I had said Jehoshiba, I asked in my family and they went, I have no idea who that is. So not a name that's very common at all. Um, but here we have a very quiet, courageous, obedient lady. And in 2 Kings it says this As Athaliah wants to get rid of that whole um, family, that whole line, we find this. But Jehosheba went and got Joash, the son of Azariah. Jehosheba was the daughter of the king of Jehoram and the sister of Azariah. She stole Joash away from among the royal princes. All of them were about to be murdered. She put Joash and his nurse in a bedroom. That's how she hid him from Athalia, and that's why Athalia didn't kill him. The child remained hidden with his nurse at the Lord's temple for six years. Athalia ruled over the land during that time. So here we have Jehoshiba. She was the sister to the king, had just been murdered. Um, and, that, and her father also had, was king previously. They're not really sure if Athali was ax mum or step And And um, the story, you have to just imagine, like, the moment in time where Jehoshiba's basically knows that she needs to do something. And in essence, she's putting her life on the line here. Somehow, some way, she gets this infant, and it's not noticed that the infant has been killed, the direct heir to the throne. She's married to the high priest um, at the time, Jehoiada, and together they keep this child in the house of God because probably... Assuming Athalia was not that kind of girl. She didn't go to the house of God very often, the God of Israel, the God of heaven, the God of angel armies. And this child is kept for six years in secret um, by them and brought up by them. She spared, she put her her life on uh, at risk to save um, the future generations. And for the prophecies that they were aware of and what they knew. She knew that if this didn't happen, um, well, I guess you didn't know how God, God always makes a way, I guess, but she became the way. She became the way. After that period of time in 2 Kings 11, it says, This child remained hidden. Oh, we did that one. Sorry, verse 4. In the seventh year, Jehoiada the priest sent for the commanders of the military groups of 100 men. So when he's seven of age, they come up with a plan of how they let out this secret in, in high confidence with the armies and the commanders. So obviously these people didn't love Afalia's rule. Um, and they set up this particular day where they're going to bring out the child. The guards and the captains do this. They set it up, and Nathalia is completely unaware until all of this commotion and all of this is happening, and she comes to find this. Jehovah has brought out Azaria's. Azariah's son Joash, copy of the covenant, and he announced that Joash was king. Jehoiada and his servants, I mean his sons, anointed him. The people clapped their hands. Then they shouted, "May the king live a long life!" At seven, Joash becomes king. He becomes the rightful king and takes his place and continues on that line, that Davidic line, the line of the Messiah. You know, not, um, not really well noted is Jehoshiba. But as you read about her, she's considered a hero or a heroine. She's considered somebody, a princess who actually went about with QCO, quiet, confident, uh, quiet, courageous obedience to do what was right. I believe God impressed upon her to take the risk to do what she did. As we said, I don't know if you know any people today named Jehoshiba. There's Ruth and Esthers, but not many Jehoshibas, is there? It's the same for us. We may not become famous. Our names might not go up in lights. But that doesn't mean that we can't have QCO, quiet, courageous obedience. In fact, even more so, it's the little things it's the little things that we can do that grows God's kingdom, that advances God's kingdom, not necessarily and often not the showy performances. You know, our part is to not necessarily, some of us may be in the big, maybe way out there, but for many of us, we are not forgetting and not negating that the small things can make a big impact if we just go about them humbly. If we're faithful to God one day at a time, we're faithful to God with one small, quiet, courageous, obedient act. Roosevelt wrote this, courage is not the absence of fear, but rather the assessment that something else is more important than fear. And sometimes when we might feel that that little thing that is, is too much that we can do. Maybe we remember that we have courage. You are courageous. I am courageous. Not only do we have to just, you know, we're not self-helping here, but the Word of God is filled with Bible verses that remind us that we are not alone. Here's just a few of them. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to to give them. Be strong and courageous, Joshua 1.9. Hebrews 13 says this, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may he equip you with every good for doing his will, and may He work in you and I what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory for ever and ever. Amen. Jesus is there for us, and he wants to he can equip you and I to have this courage to do what he has called you and I to do, and all glory belongs to him and ephesians three it 's one of my favorite passages in the Bible, ends like this. Now to him God who is able to do and this blows my mind much but he can do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine according to his power that is in work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever amen school still or where at the other you know retired live in the dream maybe i don't know joe live in the dream yeah Lynn. <laughs> You know, we, every single one of us, still can pray. This is still true for us right now, that God can do immeasurably more than you could ask or imagine in you through his power, for his glory. I just love that. Let's go back to Andrew, who prayed that prayer, who said, Yes, God. Yes, give me courage, God. Once Andrew prayed that prayer, he had this heart. He'd had it before, but he hadn't really followed through to go to missionary school. So that summer, he went to missionary school. For four, and him and three others, those at mission, were given a challenge. They were given equivalent to what would be $40 today to travel around Scotland for four weeks to um, take meetings and share their faith in God. Uh, and when they returned, they had to return the $40. $40. They were to ask nobody for money and they had to trust God that he will provide. And Andrew saw amazing things happen in that time. Everything was provided for them. Story after story, God showed up to provide transport, to provide food, to provide accommodation, to provide places that they could rent to be able to share God. And when he came back from that experience, it was so rich in his heart that it really spurred him on for many years to come, as he, as he went through his life and remembered back how God actually showed up in that space. It was um, after that experience, and it was at the time in Europe where there were many communist countries, and the one country he felt first that God was calling him was the was what was Yugoslavia, uh, a, a country where you like communist countries of the time, you could not be a Christian, and if you were, your life was at risk. But he had this heart where he felt like these people needed to know that someone cared, and he wanted to be able to penetrate into these places God's Word, the Bible, and Christian material. So he decided he would openly apply for a visa to Yugoslavia, which uh, he got. Um, And... And then he was kind of like, God, I don't know what, how, I'm going to, how I'm going to penetrate Yugoslavia. I'm not, I don't know how this is going to happen and play out. Well, it was not that long before he had this impression to go to Yugoslavia that he had a friend, Carl, who said to him one day, which I know sounds really weird because he's, he's, he's old in his 20s by now, but he said to Andrew, Andrew, you need to go get your driver's license. And he's like, what? He goes, yes, you need to get your license. He's like, "Hmm, okay. And so he's like, all right, I'll just obey. I'll go and get my license, which he did get. After he had got his visa for um, Yugoslavia, a really good friend of the family came to him one day and said, Andrew, I know you've got your visa for Yugoslavia. I was praying for you, and I prayed to God about you going to Yugoslavia, and I said to God, you know, what I could do. And God impressed me that if you got your visa... I was to give you a car. And um, Andrew's like, huh, so that's why I had to get my license. And as it turned out, Andrew got a car. And Nick, you'll be really happy with this. It was a Beetle. So um, the V-dub. He was given a V-dub. So when the time came, Andrew loaded up this car with Bibles and Christian literature and headed off to the border of Yugoslavia at the time. troll, Because this kind of material was not allowed into the country. Um, so he sat in his V-dub and he prayed this prayer. Lord, in my love across this border, when you were on earth, you made blind eyes see. Now, I pray can you please make seeing eyes blind? Do not let these guards see the things you do not want them to see. And he drove up to the guards. And as it turns out, he said, no matter what he had, where he had it, for whatever reason, they never saw it. And he went into Yugoslavia, the first communist country that Um, he went into and started to distribute Bibles in the underground and Christian literature. For many years, again and again and again, that same story replayed through Europe where Andrew was able to take this V-dub with Bibles and Christian literature, get to the border, pray this prayer and enter in. As communist Europe fell... Andrew had already had a heart for people who lived in countries where they wanted to follow Jesus and have a heart for God, but it was not allowed, and their lives were at risk. So he started a charity called Open Doors, which is still around today, helping Christians around the world. Open Doors reaches into 70 um, different countries around the world. They distribute over 300,000 Bibles every year, and Over a million books of Christian uh, material, training people, discipling people, and helping people who are persecuted across the world. QCO. When Andrew was 22, he lay in his bed one night and he just said, yes, God. He would never have imagined how his life turned out, and for many of you, you may be familiar. To keep his family safe, he never used his last name in those days. early days of going into communist countries, and so just was known to this day and has passed away now as Brother Andrew. QCO, quiet, courageous obedience. When we choose to have that for Christ, we'll have a greater impact than we can imagine, as Ephesians 3.20 said. You're not Jehoshiba, nor are you Brother Andrew, but you are you, and you're courageous, And I'm courageous. We're more courageous than we believe. We're courageous to do what is right, to obey God's voice. We can. The whole of heaven's armies are with us. To talk to that student who's alone, to be faithful in your studies or your work or your relationships, to give money to a family who might need it at that time, to be honest when asked what happened, to consider that new job To be consistent in the small things like your daily prayers or time with God. This week, when you're making decisions or you hear God's voice, I want you to think of QCO. Be courageous, trust God and say yes, as Jehoshiba did, as Brother Andrew did. And imagine if we collectively, as as a community here, if every single one of us lived with this as part of our, our life, as, uh, that when, as Paul said, we can just not even think or imagine what God could do through us. When we just live each day, say, God, QCO today, give me quiet, courageous obedience to what you put in front of me today. I believe our relationships will be strengthened Love will be felt like a big wave. People will be cared for. Our personal faith will be strengthened. Miracles will unfold. Joy will be experienced and lives will be changed. We'll find ourselves in places and spaces that we would never have imagined for God. So there is ATAR, there is IA, there is EA, there is QCAA and there is QCE. But whatever your future, whoever you are, Above and beyond all of those things, go for what Jehoshiba did. Go for QCO, quiet, courageous, obedience for Christ. May you and I and we have a greater impact for God than we could ever imagine. Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the people in the Bible that, you know, they're just sort of in between all the hero stories, um, but their life, God, focuses us again to you, the main character of our lives. Thank you for the story of Jehosheba, for her courage, Lord, to do what was right, to listen to your voice. And God, thank you that you have given courage to all of us. Lord, because you are with us and because, God, you love us and because you want to do more than we could ask or imagine through us. You want to see miracles unfold. You want to see love flourish. You want to see relationships grow. You want to see people see and experience your love, your grace, and your goodness. Lord, thank you for the privilege, the humble privilege that we have, God, to be able to do this work with you. And as we go out from this place, Lord, maybe just remember QCO in Jesus' name. Amen.